everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 152, Information Overload, recorded July 13th, 2014, and brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementop.com. Uh, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, once again to the Linux show that's not about Linux, but about life in the context of Linux. I am your host, the uh, the loquacious one, Mark, the sultan of the soapbox cockerel, and flanking me to my left and to my right digitally are the uh, command line godfather, Mr. Chris Neves, and the gooey kid, Mr. Seth Anderson. Hello, gentlemen. Hello, everyone out there in internet lands. Welcome, Element OPIs, far and wide. Ah, I, I love, I love that intro. It's just, it just feels right. <laughs> once, once the intro starts, it's like, ah, oh, we're here now. We're doing okay. Yes. So my wife's birthday Life was, is good. was this week. Um, yeah. And I commented to somebody that dads have birthdays and moms have birth weeks uh, because you know we have to have multiple <laughs> celebrations. But so Friday was her actual birthday. And some friends of hers were going to surprise her. Uh, she was going to go with a night out with the girls. I was going to stay with the kids. And uh, she was going to go out. They were going to go to her favorite restaurant and go do this art class thing, which is apparently sweeping the country. You go and you... Anyway, she's done it once before. So it was a surprise, which is... That's all well and good. But how do you how do you work that surprise in when she keeps dropping hints about what are we going to do Friday night? You know? And and so about Thursday afternoon, now nah, Thursday morning, I, I texted one of my friends and said, "When are you guys going to invite Barbie? I mean, you got to come up with some sort of reason for her to be out, you know, for something to happen." Because I mean, at this point, she's starting to look at me like I'm a tool for not doing anything. Um, <laughs> and so I can't, I can't make a, you know, I, I, I don't want to make plans that are false plans that. You know, how is this going to work? And, and the response is, well, somebody's going to c- call her in the morning. All right, well, that's pushing it. That's the day of, but okay. So then I got a text that morning. Um, the whole thing fell apart. One of the one of the people's had a family emergency, and, and you know, it's fine. It's going to happen. But now, here I am, day of, with no plans. And Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I, I, I called my wife and said, all right, here's the deal. This was going to happen, but it didn't. <laughs> so, um, how about Punt. we? How about we just order a pizza tonight, and tomorrow we'll go do something. Um, and so that's that's how it went down. So we uh, we just had a family night in Friday night. Then Saturday we went out and did what she wanted to do. And then today after church, those several of those people were back. And wanted to take her out somewhere, and so we we all went out to someplace really expensive for lunch. Well, now I'm taking her out someplace expensive with the kids. After I already took her someplace expensive yesterday, so this whole birth week turned into, you know, a wallet drainer for me. Oh yeah, I can imagine that would be, yeah. But the you know, oops moment. You only turn twenty one, seventeen, or eighteen times, so you know it's it's special. We gotta. Uh, we have to commemorate it. Yeah, it only happens once a year, so you got just enough time <laughs> to pay for it before it comes around again. <laughs> That's the American way. Do first, pay for later. So, there Seth, you, you mentioned last week that you were going to be watching the Mystery Science Theater, theater 3000 guys rip on Sharknado. How did that go? Yes, um, they did. It was, you know, it was really cool. Um, 
I would love to have been like in the live theater where they were doing it, but, um, they did like a little short beforehand. Um, and then, you know, in the, there were a couple of times where I was like, guys, you missed this opportunity to riff. And then I realized, Oh my gosh, this is the exact same stuff we do. So we need to, <laughs> we could do riff tracks as well. Just the only problem is we're not famous, but, um, it was really enjoyable. Um, I'm glad I went. I, I did the, you know, like I, I got the drink and the candy and everything and I just did up the whole movie experience and, you know, put my wallet in. I just told it to shut up. I'm going to have fun. <laughs> and, uh, and it was, it was very enjoyable. I, you know, it, it was fun just, uh, going through that. They are doing later this summer. They're doing the Godzilla, the Matthew Broderick Godzilla oh, one. Wow. So that one, I mean, there's so much potential in that one that I, I might, I might just become a regular Rift Tracks guy. So, uh, really? you know, you, hmm. you pay a little more because they're a special event. Um, you know, the movie ticket ended up being like $15 and, uh, you know, and then of course the candy and the drink. So basically it was a hundred dollars. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, I've noticed that movie theaters now don't even list the prices for popcorn and sodas. It's, it says save $5 when you buy a combo. What, what, what is that? Is that 1%? What, how, how much am I saving? <laughs> There's no prices here. Yeah. Yep. It, it's, you know, I mean, normally I don't like to buy stuff when i go to the theater because it is so expensive and you know i understand they have to make money and there's a lot of overhead but if they would lower the prices i would do more there um but anyway it was enjoyable special occasion kind of thing um you know me being lonely and sad and desperate it's not really a special occasion that's that's every day normal but uh but no i enjoyed it it was good uh we saturday my wife wanted to go see a movie that is, has been out, come and gone, and we'd missed it. And it's playing at one of the, what I call the last chance theaters, right? The dollar theaters. This was a dollar seventy five. Right. So, uh, we go there and, um, uh, two, two of us went, paid for the movie, bought a bucket of popcorn and two large cokes for 16 bucks. Now that's a bargain, but it's still ridiculous. That is. So I, I go in there and I order, uh, in this place, what the, what brings, uh, brings it to my mind is they actually had the prices. So a bucket of popcorn was five bucks and a large Coke was four seventy six, I think it was. And I said to the lady, It is tragic that four seventy six is a bargain. But it is. And right. I said, you know, this is this is way cheap, but still I'm giving you almost five dollars for seven cents worth of soda. And the lady behind the counter said, I agree with you on both counts. <laughs> it is a bargain and it's sad that it's a bargain. Well, but at least she agreed with you. Yeah, but would you like to get a larger size for twenty five cents more? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, all right, that's uh the, the next thing. The next one of those fathom events that that I'm interested in is the Monty Python one, uh, which is coming up yeah. in, in the fall. Yes, uh, the bad thing is it's a Sunday night. Oh, so um, you know mm. we might be doing a best of show or something. <laughs> that we- I'm not feeling well, whatever day that is. <laughs> Maybe we could do the podcast from there. That would be great. Uh, oh, there you that go. That would also be highly illegal. Uh, okay, moving right along. Chris, you were in the the, uh, the Mile High City this week. I was for the whole week, from Monday through Friday. I was in Denver. And, you know, I never believed how bad all being up that high can make you feel until, of course, it hits you like a ton of bricks. 
Um, I was down there for my new job for a week to see one of the corporate offices, and I got so sick. I could not believe how bad I felt. Oxygen just deprivation. Being, yep. Yep. And how slow my brain responded to things. It just, when, when I realized what was going on, it was like Tuesday afternoon, and I'm like, why do I feel like I can't think anymore? It, it, my brain just would stop thinking at least that's what it felt like um things that would be normally nice quick snappy replies turned into muttered phrases and and hard (laughs) moments of speech it was horrible uh so i give anybody credit who uh goes up to that goes into denver and stays there longer than a week and says they don't have any of that feeling because i think they're lying (laughs) but that was just that was my biggest thing this week is i I literally six thirty came along. I was dead. I was in the dirt in the bed, going, "Just kill me now." That's, I want. That's why to- when you watch NFL games, the guys, the visiting teams, always sitting over there sucking on an oxygen mask. Oh yeah, I believe it now. I mean, I was there for five days, and I didn't start feeling better until the end of the fourth day. So yeah, so now I'm back in you know Montana where it's not quite as thin, and feeling like there's you know something sitting on my chest because it's just. <laughs> Uh, the reverse is now happening. So, yay, <laughs> mile high. <laughs> so you were Seth. Just it just popped in my head. You were talking about the Matthew Broderick um, Godzilla. That reminded me of the uh, the Honest Trailers. Right, you're familiar with those. Yes, um, the Honest Trailers. Uh, they do uh, Planet of the Apes, and the guy with the b- big voice in, in the the beginning is. Uh, the the visionary masterpiece that rewrote. Oh crap! We're doing the Wahlberg one. All right, let's get this over with. <laughs> <laughs> so you you need to Google that one. It's it's a good one. Sounds like it. So what is what is three hundred Rise of an Empire, Chris? That is the second movie. Remember the movie three hundred about yeah. the Spartans? Okay, this is the second one, and it was probably. I want my my $5 back for the Blu-ray rental and the 2 hours of my life because that I I could have done so much more with 2 hours and $5. Um if you've never seen it, don't even waste your time. Well, I didn't think I didn't like the first one. I know I'm unusual in that. It was it was this visionary masterpiece. I I watched it and thought this is weird and boring. But uh yeah, I would. I didn't mind the first one. I didn't mind the first one. The first one kind of, you know, got that whole group er feeling <laughs> going on. Um, but the second one, it was just like, really? What? No. How? Now, why did that? You know, is that that constant uh, moment of why? How did this happen? And it was just, you know, the first one you could kind of go along with, and it was like, okay, yeah, I can disbel, I could take my disbelief section of my brain off, and and just watch a good movie, but I just couldn't do it on the second one. I couldn't. And it totally, yeah, it was worth, it was worthless in my opinion. I would have rather kept my five bucks. Yeah, whenever you're trying to over the top 300, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you've got to be bigger and over the top. You know, so basically, 
what did they do? Did they just walk around in blood because that's the only way you could get more <laughs> funny. blood. You know, you nicked shaving. <laughs> <laughs> well, I tried yeah, to go back. It, you know, the, the what I can't remember the author wrote, wrote the famous line, "You can't go home again." I tried to go home again this week and watched uh, uh, Vacation, National Lampoon's Vacation. Okay. And uh it was one of those things it was in the three dollar bin, it was vacation and European vacation. And my wife bought it for me like, I don't know, years ago, and I've never had the interest to go back to watch. It was a slow night, uh, one day this week, so I popped it in there, and the whole time I'm thinking, Wow, this was so much better in nineteen eighty three because <laughs> I'm not enjoying this at all. And I made myself sit through it. I, over two nights, because I never have two hours to myself anymore. So I watched half of it one night and half of it the next night. Because the only reason I went back to the sex, second night was, it's like you know when when you've gone through the pain, you might as well see it through. And right. So it was it was like all right, I'm I'm in I'm in for a penny, in for a pound. So I watched the whole thing. And other than the two scenes where you see the the girl's boobs, there's almost nothing redeeming about that movie. And and I loved it so much 25 years ago, but not so much anymore. It's amazing how just age will change your taste in movies, isn't it? Not 25, 30 years ago. Wow. Um, so well, yeah. I wasn't trying to date you there. You were, you just did yourself, but I was just going off the idea that it's amazing how something you saw, you know, five years ago, yeah. five years ago was awesome. And now it's really, yeah. Well, and just, and one that does stand up just today. Welcome to Mark's Movie Minute. Um, I was watching, uh, Necessary Roughness, one of my favorite bad movies. Um, it's not bad right. enough to be on the bad movie list, but, cause it's, it's good enough. It's really close. You know, it's right <laughs> in there. Uh, but it's a, it was a low budget Scott Bakula, uh, you know, bad news bears kind of thing. And just the, from the beginning, from the open, uh, one thing, they, they eschewed the cold open, right? That, that, that's sort of become the, the thing now where you jump right into the middle of a battle, whatever, and, and you're wondering what's going on. They didn't do the cold open. They sort of warmed up to it. And you said the, the helicopter flying over the field and the guy, and you're introducing the characters one in time. And I thought, wow, that's, it's kind of an old way of storytelling. We don't do that anymore. And then the, the credits were kind of jittery on the screen because they were all mm-hmm. analog back then. And it wasn't quite, and I was like, wow, this, this is really dated. But the story holds up. You know, the acting was never all that great to begin with. So that one I still enjoyed. And at the end of it, I was like, yeah, he knocked the guy's face mask off. Yeah, that's cool. And that's a story that holds up. But vacation just didn't. I didn't even remember that the, that Rusty, the kid, was Anthony Michael Hall in that movie. He was a different kid in every movie. Um, yeah, so was the daughter, I think. Yeah. Yeah, and she was the Jane Krakow, something like that, from Sex in the City. Uh, that she's she's really famous now and does the commercials for like butter or something. Anyway, hmm. um, that when I'm watching that, I'm like, that's that's the Sex in the City woman thirty years ago. What do you who knew? <laughs> okay, yeah. We really do have to get into some Linux type stuff, but first, I to, to, it ties so in so well with last week's show. I wanted to bring attention to, and I couldn't find a link to the original source, and I don't like linking to second and third uh, level sources, uh, so um, I'm not going to. But just Google it; you'll find it. So this guy, I can't even remember his name now. He's he's basically a meme generator, and the reason I couldn't find it, it was it happened two days ago, and that was seventeen thousand posts ago on his Facebook page. 
and I couldn't scroll down <laughs> far enough to find it. But he posted right. a picture of Steven Spielberg standing, uh, uh, sitting next to uh, the uh, dead Triceratops or the laying down Triceratops. If you saw Jurassic Park, it was the one that uh, was sick and uh, laying on the ground, and they ran up to it, and the doctor started digging through its poop. Um, so he's sitting right. there in front of this prop, and he put it up there and w- put the caption uh, playing off of the the Texas cheerleader who who shot an exotic animal when there was the outrage about it, talking about, you know, we need to find the name of this this uh, hunter who just killed this triceratops. These animals uh, are uh, majestic and shouldn't be uh, treated, treated with such disrespect. We need to find out who this person is so we can shame him publicly. Um, and it was a really well-written piece of satire that now has in, on the order of 10,000 comments of it, uh, most of which I'm pretty sure are playing along with the joke, but some of them, I really don't think they know that the Triceratops has been extinct for 60 million years. <laughs> yeah, I saw that post too, and I just about fell off my chair laughing when I read some of the, the comments of, uh, we need to find him and do the same to him. Yeah. Yeah, so it was I'm, like I'm never watching any of Spielberg's movies again. He's such a a, a terrible person, and it's either so well written that it's believable, or these people are nutbags. <laughs> I'm not sure which. Maybe a well, little bit of both. If at it this was time. on Facebook, I'm going to go with the people are nutbags because I don't run across <laughs> yeah. too much stuff well written on Facebook. Uh, but it was, I mean, that's the the brilliance of satire. Really good satire makes you go, "Is this real?" For just a second, and the Onion is great about that. And oh Google, yeah, you know Google when they did their uh, the the plumbing based internet system, uh, right? Where you flush the transponder, you're watching, and for like the first three paragraphs, you're like, "This is kind of oh wait, now it's going off the oh okay, there it is. Can um, this actually work? But it started moments. out long enough that it, so this one it was so well written and the caption was good, uh, written just like something you'd see on a Facebook headline that for a second it gets you, and then you realize. Okay, A, that's Steven Spielberg, and B, that's a Triceratops. But then the response is, we're either brilliant or stupid, and I can't decide which. So go find it on Facebook, um, and you tell or a me. Google search. Yeah, is, is or a it, Google search. Is it real? Are these responses real nutbags or just really brilliant satirists? I need I need to know. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the more you know... <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's get right into the listener feedback. I got a few. Um, I knew the uh, that the hoax show last week would bring out the hoaxers in the email, and and I was not disappointed. Um, I have called out some uh, that that uh, are the more sane of them. The first one begins with Will, who who uh, I think is the most rational of all the three hundred mile per gallon car. Uh, things that everybody wrote in it says hey mark just wanted to let you know the three 300 mile per gallon car quote myth you mentioned is not really all that far-fetched the volkswagen xl1 is a hybrid vehicle that gets 261 miles per gallon and is in fact being blocked from being sold in the u.s the myth is that big oil is keeping us from getting this one the fact is it's considered unsafe by the u.s auto safety board due to two reasons reason one the car has no side mirrors which removes one of the biggest points of drag on a vehicle they've been replaced with cameras that give you a nearly 
360 degree field of view. And uh, number two, the the rear brake slash turn signal light array is one large connected array. There are no non-light separation between the two sides, and apparently that is not safe. I know you're probably referring to the rumor that's going around 15 or more years ago, but nowadays the rumor is more truth than fiction. Will. Uh, okay. So right. I didn't Google it, but I'm going to take your, your word, Will, that the Volkswagen X1 is a thing. 261 miles per gallon isn't 300 miles per gallon. And I doubt those are real numbers. Um, you know, those are always the, the EPA estimates or something like that. According to the EPA, a, uh, a Ford Escalade gets 30 miles per gallon, you know, estimates. It actually gets four. Um, so everybody knows those estimates are ridiculous. Um, and, but we accept them, uh, as being the only, even a ridiculous standard is at least a standard. Um, so I'm, I'm calling foul on the 261. I don't think it's real. And even if it is, that's not 300 and it's a one seater. Uh, you know, I, I, here's what I've always said about electric cars. When I can drive one 400 miles at 75 miles an hour with the air conditioner on, I'll consider it a real thing until then it's, it's not until then it's a, it's a toy. Um, so it's an experiment. Is what I would call it more than a toy. So there you go. That's that's my comments. So Will, your your voice has been heard. Um, I mean, you can you can Google the the Volkswagen XL1. It is a thing. It does exist. Um, it weighs eighteen hundred pounds. It's it's basically a motorcycle with a with an overhead fairing. Um, it's tiny. So there you go. I, yes, it is a car. Yes, it gets close to three hundred miles in a gallon. No, it not. It's not actually anything most people will want to drive. Not most Americans, mm. anyway. And according to Snopes, the claim that the federal government is blocking it because it's too fuel efficient, it is, according to the Snopes, says it is false. And it does go down saying that it's most of the stuff that he's saying. So, you know, if you believe 100% in Snopes, then, yeah, okay, it may be... So, well, yes, I, I was, I was aware of that vehicle, um, or I didn't know it by name, but I knew that there was something out there like it. Um, but I still don't think it meets the claims of the, the hoax. I, and don't get me wrong. I want this to be a thing. I want us to not have to be pumping dead dinosaurs into our tank. Um, eventually. I just think we're a long way from that because there, there is no replacement for it. A drop of petroleum has so much energy in it. We haven't found anything that comes close yet, except nuclear, and nobody wants that. Yeah, I was going to say, nothing safe-ish. Right. Because <laughs> even even petroleum products are not 100% safe, with air quotes, you know. Yeah. They're still, you know, how many times have you heard of oil factories burning down or spills killing But, you know, the, the myth that cars blow up when they were in an accident are... are so overblown. Petroleum is very stable. It's hard to get that stuff to bar- to ignite. Yep. Um, but you can, you know, you can set it on fire with a match, but it's not going to explode. So it's it's just the best fuel source we have yet. Uh, and I want there to be something else, but I'm also a realist. There isn't yet. Um, yet. And Christian like would like to remind us that you can't outrun a bullet. 
That's good advice. He says, not exactly an urban legend, perhaps, but rather a quirk of fractions. By using fractions, it's possible to show that as long as you run away from a bullet, it cannot hit you. Say the bullet travels twice as fast as you can run. In one second, the distance has become half. In two seconds, the distance uh, between you and the bullet is reduced to a quarter and so on. The thing is, you can't reach zero using this method, thus proving that you can avoid getting shot as long as you run, walk, crawl, Always use fractions. Love the show. Regards, Christian. Um, I believe the if from my my geometry is correct, that's called an asymptotic curve, ever approaching but never reaching a line. Um, well, and if you could run fast enough, you could out you could run until the bullet runs out of energy, and yeah. then so you know. If you could go fast enough, Christian, there is a chance that you could literally outrun the bullet. So but- if somebody starts shooting at shooting at you, walk slowly away from them, saying invoking the power of fractions, and let's see how that works. <laughs> uh, I'm pretty sure Newton wins over Archimedes in that say- case. No kidding. <laughs> the power of fractions compel you. <laughs> <laughs> the fractionator. That would be a great superpower. He's he's coming at me. Fractionator powers activate. And I don't then, need a bulletproof vest. I have fractions. <laughs> All right. And the last one, Damon weighs in on the federal drinking age. He said, uh, in listening to your latest podcast, you stated that there's no federal drinking age. This statement is half true. As you rightly indicated, the drinking age is set by the states. However, the federal government passed a law, a highway funding bill in the late 80s, early 90s, that would withhold funds from any state that did not have a minimum drinking age of 21. As such, the federal government instituted a minimum drinking age by proxy, as all 50 states passed laws raising their drinking age to the eligible for highway funding. Uh, I learned the real reason why all 50 states managed to agree on this one issue a few years ago, yet they can't seem to agree on marriage rights, gun control, or health care. I guess Congress has to tie funding to these issues to get the consensus. Love the Linux show that's not about Linux. Oddly enough, you guys talk uh, about Linux more than some podcasts about Linux. So uh, yeah. take care, Damon. And you're right, that that is a true statement. Also, the seatbelt law, the reason you have to wear your seatbelt in all 50 states, is tied to funding as well. Um, and don't get me started on governmental overreach. I will just simply say, yes, Damon, that is correct. That was an end around around the Constitution. Pretty right. Much. But it still wasn't a federal law. And people, because people don't know civics, you know, they were too busy. I don't know, not what, not paying attention in civics class to learn these things. All you have to say is the federal government, blah. And then, of course, you know, anyway, so, yeah. You know, we need to do a Civics Daily pod. There's a lot of podcasts we yeah. need to get started, Mark. I mean, it's the same reason there's a that the speed limit is the same on all interstates. Um, that is tied also to funding. Yeah. Uh, and recently, well, not terribly recently, late 90s, early 2000s, that was revoked. The, uh, the much vilified Republican Congress uh, repealed that. And I believe it's Wyoming, maybe Montana, Chris, where you are. One of those wide open states for briefly had no speed limit. It was Montana. Uh, Montana. Yeah. We had, then, we had a, the, the speed limit was reasonable and prudent. Right. And then they backed off of that because people didn't know what reasonable and prudent meant. Yeah. I can but believe it was, that. <laughs> I can remember that was during the time when I first started driving that they revoked the speed limit law. And, uh, I remember making it from one side of my, of my city. Or my town to the the other exit of my town in like fifteen minutes, which is 
pretty darn fast considering on the freeway it takes about 35 minutes to get the same distance taken care of at the speed limit. So, yeah, it was fun. And we made, we did really stupid, stupid high school mistake type stupid things. So they had to have some kind of law in the books that would allow an officer to write you a ticket. So reasonable and prudent was the language they adopted. Uh, Yep. And then that didn't last only like four or five years, or was it even that long? It wasn't even that long. It was like, uh, I want to say 15 months maybe is how long that lasted. And then we got told that there was quickly we're told that it's a, uh, the, the speed limit is now 70. No, it started at 75 or no, what did it start at? It started at a, cer- a certain limit and then it's current at its current thing now at 75. Uh, Texas moved to 85 miles per hour on cer- certain roads just as I was moving out of it. That made me happy. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's not that people weren't driving 85 miles an hour already, but it was legal uh, on certain wide open stretches. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, so, okay, we've lost Seth. Uh, he will be back um, soon, I'm sure. But we'll move right on to, uh, actually, I can't move on to it because I need him to lead into this story <laughs> so i'm gonna see what we can do here about uh, uh an article on the verge that says a rescued space probe fires its thrusters for the first time in almost 20 years uh wow the uh, isee3 space probe fired its trust thrusters uh the probe was launched by nasa in 78 to measure solar r- winds but discontinued in 97 and as it drifted farther and farther from Earth. But in 2008, a group of former NASA employees discovered the craft was still transmitting a signal and launched a massive crowdfunding effort to return the probe to activity. This weekend, the team took the first step in firing up just to see if it could get the craft spinning and in a new orientation uh, to make it easier to communicate with. So that's cool. Um, V'ger, um is upon us. Is that the one that... Uh Oh, was it hackers that were no it wasn't hackers but they were it was a a group source effort of programming guys who are going to recapture that one is that the same satellite i don't know it would be great if Seth were here to tell us since he gathered all the by the way i didn't tell you the uh the topic this week is just all news all the time seth said we got so much news let's just do a news show and then he lost his connection after having gathered all these stories. So it may be we may need to change the title to "Mark is Floundering." Um, <laughs> it is possible. Oh, I, I it looks like he had totally reboot. He is gone. Um, so Ooh. following up on a story we talked about uh, a while back, the Reading Rainbow of uh, uh, found its pot of gold. Uh, the uh, the final wow. campaign ended. With a grand total of five point four million dollars, wow! That's that huge. blows me away. And it That's just goes awesome. to show you what what the power of what a few people can do, right? Um, mm-hmm. Most of these funds are in the you know the five and ten dollar range. Um, so it's a you know it's a real um, what's the word uh, object lesson for. Um, how to do a crowdfunding campaign first uh do something that millions of people loved and then uh ask them to pay to save it so you know that's that first step's pretty hard you have to be lavar burton first 
<laughs> being someone who is loved by the community helps a lot. Yeah. Any community, for that matter. Yeah, somebody was uh, just this week uh, was asking me about the whole podcasting thing and asking, you know, do people re- really make money in this? Yeah, people who were famous before uh, they started podcasting make lots of money. But uh, I don't know anybody who started podcasting, then became famous, and then started making money. But that's neither here nor there. It just it just goes to show that 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 sometimes you have to start. You know, uh, you have to have an advantage to get anywhere. So this Reading Rainbow campaign only worked because Reading Rainbow was awesome and ran yeah. for a long time. <clears throat> And have some pretty good names behind it, you know, or at least one good name behind it. I mean, um, it was Jordy LaForge. Who wouldn't yeah. give Jordy LaForge five bucks? Well, and then a couple of them say that uh, if, depending on the, your level of backing, you know, like, uh, what was this, 900 or more, which 11 people did, you get Patrick Stewart and him to come to a family barbecue. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> holy crap! <laughs> That's awesome. Could you imagine that? Oh, if I had known, I would have done that because that's cool. Um, although some of my favorite interactions with Patrick Stewart are with him and Ian McKellen. Those YouTube videos of the two of them just riffing, yeah, are hilarious. All right, the next one, uh, the Humble Bundle, uh, gets into the sci-fi ebook territory. Yep, they they tried to push, and they. They have a lot of good books in this list. Um, a couple of them that are on my reading list. Uh, I didn't. Is this st- bundle still active? Yeah, it's still active for another nine hours. I might have to pull the trigger on this yeah, one. So by the time, There's, no, it's nine days. Is that nine days? Nine days, seventeen hours, twenty-two minutes. Okay. The last, the last sci-fi ebook bundle that they did, I missed, and I was kicking myself because there was about five of the books that I really, really wanted. So there's a couple in here that I want to read, bef- you know, since before. So this is another bundle book, which means it also is supporting some charity. Uh, this is going to be the first book in the SFWA Emergency Medical Fund. That's the charities of this one. Um, and I don't think anybody would really know any of the authors. Do you know what, see any, like, super famous authors in the list? I'm not the person to ask, but uh, so I, I, I'm not really up on how the humble bundle things works. There's, it says more more books will be added Wednesday yep. at 11 a.m. Tell tell me how that works. Well, it, it depends on your level of um, support. So if you only come in here and spend a dollar, you know you can only you know or a penny. I know that for a while they were getting penny donations and getting their bundle. Um, the way these things work is you come in, you pay a, a flat fee, and you get access to all the books that are listed under whatever the their dollar amount is. Um, so the base bundle pack comes with five books. If you pay more than five books or f- than, than $11, you get the additional books underneath. And if you pay... Above twelve dollars, you get the extra special books on the on the right hand side, and that's because the average right now is eleven sixty seven. So if you pay eleven sixty eight, you get all the other books. Yep, um, but you don't get the two that are is it two or three that are in the the special books. Two. Now, in the the way these bundles things work is, if you can, if you come in and say drop twenty five dollars for the book set, then you would get 
any books that they add on until, you know, because you're above the average so far. So if they come in and add another, say, six, six books, one in the $12 or more, and then the rest of them are in the beat the average ones, you'd get all of the books at the end of the bundle. So even if the average at the time of the release is $20, you still get them because you're right you now. You beat the average. Yeah, you beat the average as of the point, which is why a lot of people come in and buy their bundles early because then that average is so low that you know $5 could probably beat it sometimes. Um, but some of these books, uh, the one that I really wanted to read is The Time of the Dark by Barbara Hamble. It, that, I've heard a couple of people that I know say that's a really good book, so... That's the one I want to get, which is why I went and looked for it in paperback, and it was $15. So, you know, I'll probably pull the trigger on these. I need to find out if my um, either one of my devices that I carry with me on my road when I'm driving back and forth to work, um, if they can read the ebook formats that they're selling. Well, they're DRM-free, so you can convert them to whatever you want to if you need to. Right. But I need to make sure that my devices have reading of it, uh, the reading pieces available. It says Kindle, iPad, Kobo, and Nook. Okay. Well, I'll have to look and check on my two devices because the one device is a Fire, a Kindle Fire, and the other one is my Android phone. So I'll have to look at the programs to see if I can get one to read the books to me. Uh, but yeah, the the humble the humble team they do a lot of good things, and you know I've. I've supported quite a few of the bundle packages, and I every time I see them, it's just like, oh, well, here's another twenty five dollar donation. I, I'm not a I'm not a reader. I, I prefer audio books. Um, I know. So, I really wish they would start, you know, tying up with, yeah. um, say, Audible, and saying, hey, here's these six books from Audible's library for whatever the price is. That would but, be you really know, it's cool. Ex- it's expensive to produce an audio book. Mm-hmm. Uh, you gotta you gotta pay the producers. You gotta pay the talent. You got you gotta have a studio. So I understand that. But uh, uh, this would be a lot more compelling to me if I didn't have to read. Uh, and it's just because I don't <laughs> enjoy the the physical act of reading. Scanning my right. eyes across text doesn't matter if it's an ebook or paper. It's not a pleasant experience for me. I don't enjoy it. Um, but audio books, I'm all about it. Yeah, and there's a lot of people that are in that in that mindset with you there, Mark. Um, the way the world runs right now, we just don't have time to sit down and read in, in the you know paper copy version type of reading. Um, but I, I will also bring up that not only is that book bundle going on, but they also have another um, hun- humble bundle for um, video games. It looks like they're due to time out at about the same time. Um, the humble bundle for gaming is only good for another eight days as of the day of recording, and they're supporting action for um, action against hunger, hunger, and I can't speak today, and American Red Cross. Um, this is the 2K group of games, um, mainly of most people remember the Bioshock series. Um, those are kind of the big name titles in this one. This is an awesome bundle. Now I'm looking at it. Bioshock, Bioshock 2, Bioshock Infinite. Um, and so far the price to, to get everything unlocked is only 20 bucks. So it's a good group of games. 
if you can, and if you pay more than a dollar, you get the Steam key so you can attach them to your Steam client. Um, it's an, another set of good games. So again, either by book or by games, the humble guys have a really good packages either way. Um, and again, they support charity. You can actually customize your, con- your, con- your donation and either donate it all to the charities and say nothing to the humble in the 2k or the, the book group. You can just say all of it's to charity and excuse me. Um, and then, so then it's an actual, just charity is getting your donation. Um, I've done that for a couple of them. Like the last time that they had, uh, the one up guys, um, that do the video games for cancer kids. I did that donation all to charity. So I like how they give you that choice. Um, so far, these guys, they've kind of gone away from the humble indie bundles where it's all Linux and, and open and happiness, but they're still doing, a, they're doing the, you know, they're fighting the good fight. They're donating things to charity. So even if you don't like that they no longer do indie only titles, they still support the charity. So go get some books, get some games and have fun and know that you're doing good work. Um, Seth has contacted me and said he is, uh, looks like he is out for the night. His internet access is gone. Um, oh no, I don't want to fumble through all of this stuff that he put together. Um, I, I don't think I would be doing you, the listeners, a service by doing that. So, well, I think we're going to abandon the uh, the news this week, and we'll pick it up next week. I mean, we're we're already forty plus minutes in, so I don't. I mean, I'm not cheating you on show length at all. Uh, but I did want to mention, and while we're on the topic, uh, maybe maybe we could just turn that into just uh, riffing a little bit on on things you enjoy reading, uh, that sort of stuff. But I wanted sure. to mention a, uh, friend of mine. I, I never, he doesn't know I'm doing this. He didn't ask me to do this, but, uh, it's because of the quality of his work that I'm going to do it. A, a buddy of mine wrote a book. Um, it's called in and out of the moon. Uh, it's available on Amazon, elementopi.com slash Amazon. Uh, you can go there, search for in and out of the moon. It's available on Kindle right now for four bucks. Um, and uh or you can buy the paperback for 23 or whatever uh and it's if you're into the fantasy genre uh this dude one of his uh great um heroes is cs lewis uh so he he has that fantasy uh, uh vibe built in in fact he wrote the first book he wrote was a uh uh scholarly work on uh lewis's interactions with one of his proteges whose name i can't I remember right now it was not it wasn't a book of fiction but it was a a uh like a di- doctoral thesis turned into a book uh that he wrote uh about this this guy so he's he's got the chops is what i'm saying uh and you know go check it out if you're interested i, I just thought i would well, since i have the opportunity i've got the mic and you can't stop me um <laughs> let me just read a couple of paragraphs just to set the tone so you understand what we're talking about. He's a, he's a country boy from Wascom, Texas. And so he often writes characters that are, that he can relate to. So he writes a lot of country, uh, characters. So, uh, this is, uh, just the first, like, two paragraphs of the book. Cave McCaw's mother had died in the hospital 
a few years ago. Now his grandfather was in that same hospital. So during the last half hour of school on Friday, he was thinking of Papa more than anything going on in class in Wampus Middle School. Other children in Miss Ritter's class were enjoying surfing the net and playing video games during their computer free time, but Cabe's mind wandered. Papa, can you show me what light is like? Cabe, blind since birth, felt a gentle breeze move over, move over his face a few years ago as he put this question to his grandfather. The fish weren't biting, and Papa had just finished telling Cabe a story about a girl named Tangle and a boy named Mossy. In the story, Mossy had come across a lovely, delicate rainbow light in the forest. And of course, Cabe had heard of rainbows many times but uh, and, and other kinds of light, but he had never seen any light. So, after another story, the question tur- returned to his mind. He leaned back against his papa in the darkness that he had known since he could know anything, and he asked his grandfather about the light he had never seen. That's a solid open. Yeah. Yeah, that's actually really well. <laughs> uh, Seth is back. Yay. Oh. So I'm so, going to call him back. Um, but, you know, I, I don't want the I don't want to kill this discussion. We've we've. Uh, what are what do you, what do you like to read as long as we're on that? Um, and again, I want to encourage my listeners to go check out In and Out of the Moon. I just thought I'd throw that out there. We had some time. Seth was gone. I was vamping. Uh, so go check out In and Out of the Moon. But while we're on that topic, you know, this it's something that uh, you know, people often tell us that one of the things they like about the show is they feel like they're hanging out with us. And when people hang out, they talk about the things they enjoy. We often talk about movies and television. But what do you like to read? Uh, Chris, I'll ask you first. Sure, sure. Um, I like to read. Uh, I'm one of those guys who I read just about anything that somebody throws in front of me. So I've read everything from Stephen King to ultra realistic. Um, oh, what was that? Uh, the way of the the not the way of the world, but uh, the art of war. That's a one. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. That's you know some good classic stuff like that. Um, and then I've read everything up to super high fantasy stuff like Pierce Anthony's and the world of Xanth. Um, which I've really, I loved her. I really, really loved that series. I wish it would come back. Um, but then I've also read a couple of indie artists, like you were just talking about your friend who wrote this book, In and Out of the Moon. Um, my, I have a friend of mine as well who's a writer, and she published a book, and for the life of me, I can't remember the name because she's currently teasing me with the second one in the series. Um, and it's kind of a miss, uh, I'll have to find the book really quick in my Kindle archive, but, uh, it's, it's the story of two sisters. And then one of the, and then there's a, a whole bunch of stuff that happens. And then she leaves you on such a cliffhanger that I literally went to her house and yelled at her for it. <laughs> I, and I'm not kidding. I was, I read the end of the book and I'm like, okay, well, let's see what happens in the next chapter. And there was nothing left in the book. And I'm like, well, what? sequels. She's got to leave room for a sequel. Oh, yeah. And she left it on such a great end that, like I said, I literally finished the book, found that out. I got in my car and I drove to her house. And the first words out of my mouth were, how dare you leave that book the way you did? <laughs> so um, I'll quickly look it up so we can vamp some more about books. But that was in, in books like that, that, that kind of get you engrossed are the ones I really love. They're the ones that I'll sit there and I'll reread over and over because I want to enjoy f- going into that mind frame of those characters. Um, the Wheel of Time series was another one that I really got soaked into. Uh, I need to rebuy my collection because 
they got lost in my last hard drive failing. So if you're going to go pick up a book, what's your go-to genre? Is it fantasy? Is it sci-fi? Is it is it hard science? What's your it's go-to? Usually, it's usually either fantasy, because I'm a fantasy type guy, or it's the really um, hyper-realistic fan- or science fiction. Hard the science, stuff that, they call it. Yeah, hard the science. really hard science yeah. stuff. The stuff that you can go, that could happen tomorrow. Um, what about you, Seth? Welcome back. What what what's your go to genre, Seth? Well, I like um, uh, space opera, science fiction mostly. Um, the Honor Harrington series. Uh, Steve Gibson raved about them so long. I love them. I'm totally engrossed. Uh, it seems like she's one of my best friends because I spend more time with her than I do almost anyone else. But uh, if you like the hard science fiction, Chris, you need to f- check out The Martian. I just finished that book. I started it at 10 o'clock one night. Big mistake. I stayed up till like four. So I only got a couple hours of sleep the next day before I went to work. And then I finished it the next day. But um, the premise of the story, and this is all done in like the first two pages. Uh, there's a mission to Mars. It's like, and then due to a sandstorm, they abort. One of the guys gets knocked off and the suit goes flatline and they think he's dead, but it turns out he didn't die. It was just like a suit malfunction. And so it's his struggle for survival on the planet till the earth can mount a rescue. Uh, really good stuff. If you like the hard science fiction, check out the Martian by Andy Weir. That was mentioned um, during uh twit the last week. I think was that where you heard about it? Um, no, I, security now security now talked okay. about it a few weeks ago. And then, uh, but yeah, and apparently, um, the guy, Andy Weir, he like just published it himself on his website and then it, there started to be, you know, word of mouth groundswell thing that it was picked up and published by a company. And then I don't remember who, but somebody whose name is kind of up there with Ridley Scott, uh, purchased the rights to the movie and they want to do a movie out of it cool so it it's really good it's very very engrossing and you're like going you know this could this could happen tomorrow kind of thing because um it was it's really good but yeah so i like the space opera science fiction mostly um yeah based on on the uh the talking about that in the the twit podcast that i was listening to i put it in my audible wish list because it's on audible right Um, sweet and as I said, I, I, I'm an audiobook guy. For for a long time, I didn't read because, again, audiobooks weren't around. There were books on tape, uh, but that's even less convenient. Um, so for years, I would have told you I'm not a reader. But, you know, in school, obviously, I had to read. I was forced to read. Um, and lately, I've I've sort of rediscovered the love of, of quote-unquote, reading Aaron uh, who I just saw join the chat room and I think is listening, uh, um, corrects me every time I say reading. He says, you mean listening to? Yes, listening to, whatever. So when I say reading, insert the phrase listening to. Um, but uh, because of that medium, it's, it's you know, and also because of my, you know, three to five hour a day commute, uh, depending on traffic, I have I have that awesome uh, time there to, to do stuff. And I started running out of podcast. And so I got into audible who I'm looking at by the, by the way, doing a, a sponsorship deal with. So um, cool. hopefully in the next couple of weeks, I'll be doing an audible spot for them. Um, but anyway, that's cause, cause I like the stuff. Like I've always said, we, we do stuff that we like. Um, right. So anyway, uh, the, uh, 
the stuff that I tend to go for uh, are the hard science stuff, both the sci-fi and the the nonfiction. I'm into you know books about physics as well as books about um, you know space flight in the year mm-hmm. thirty-five thousand, um, and and also historical uh, uh, expositories as well as historical fiction. I, I'm I love the uh, the anything on in the art of battle. So you know I've read Sun Tzu's Art of War years ago, um, but also uh, you know the the Band of Brothers book that I mentioned recently, the the uh, but Brothers in Battle, Best of Friends was the name of the book. It was about two characters who were in the book. Anyway, I enjoy that sort of stuff. So for me, uh, I like to be taken on a journey, but I'm. I, it's more important that I learn something. Uh, so yeah. even if it's a even if it's a total sci-fi book that happens, you know, in a uh, long ago in a faraway galaxy, um, the science needs to be good enough that I'm going to learn something from it. Uh, so that's why I stay away from fantasy in general. It just doesn't, it doesn't do anything for me. Um, I enjoyed Tolkien stuff because he was sort of best of breed, you know, I think, uh, and I've tried other fantasy stuff and it just, I lose interest because I just, uh, the character study isn't enough for me. I need, I need to learn something. Yeah. I found the book title just in case anyone was looking for it. Um, it is definitely more of a female book you know what i mean it's written more in a, in a you know teenage girl mentality so it may not be you know the best for a lot of my of our listeners but if you know anyone who's got kids uh nika's secret is what it's called n-i-k-a and then secret um it's done by s katska is her pen name uh, definitely worth if you just want a book to read for a little bit. It's got some points where you get sucked in, um, but it is written from a female's pr- perspective. So be be aware of that if you're going to jump into it. But it is a good book. So while I'm on the subject of needing to learn things, now's a good time to mention where you can learn all sorts of Linux stuff from our good friends over at the linuxacademy.com where you can uh they don't do audio books but they do videos but what i like about them is it's not just videos there's lots of places online where you can go watch videos and in fact you'll hear other um famous podcasts right now it's it's become a thing to advertise these uh these video based learning and they all tout the fact that you watch videos or you you watch the the live stream or whatever Linux Academy is so much more than that. It started as videos, but they've grown into a real learning community. And so along with the step-by-step videos, you get what I think is really one of their their greatest features is the PDF study guides. You get this thing in hand because, you know, some people learn better with pen and paper. I've never been one of those, but some people are. So if you you can print out this PDF and you can underline and highlight uh, if you're one of those people who likes to highlight every word so that it would have been easier just to buy yellow paper, uh, you can do that. And the PDFs are time-coded back to the videos so that you know, if I want to see this demonstration again, here in this se- section where we're talking about in the study guide is the time code to that video. So you can go back there and look at that. And it really, it makes you a more well-rounded learner. You're not just watching somebody do something. But along with that, maybe you're a reader. Maybe you like to learn by reading and by underlying. Maybe you like to learn by watching videos. Maybe you're the kind of guy who likes to learn by doing. Well, Linux Academy has you covered there too. They've got the uh, the 
the labs right there in the in the Amazon cloud services up to eight different servers uh, that you can run one at a time or if you buy their their lab pack you can run two to three at a time and actually see how they're integrate with one another so you've got you've got your three different methods you've got your watching you've got your reading you've got your doing and they're all right there in one package uh, managed through a single uh, dashboard that's easy to follow and easy to comprehend and you get this really comprehensive learning experience and then uh, on top of that is the community, the the other learners there, the forums, the fact that the the teachers and the and the the proprietors of the school are are interacting with you on a regular basis. They're listener, they're very responsive to their to their members. They listen to what people have to say, and you get all this for you know just frankly uh, an amazingly low price of only twenty five dollars a month. But if you're not ready to to spend that. You can just spend a dollar. You get a 14-day trial for a dollar. Look around, see what there is to see, see if you like it, see if you don't like it. That you know, that's really what I think the the 14-day trial is best at. If you don't like it, it only costs you a dollar. You know, it's uh, people often say you you know to try before you buy thing. Well, you don't, you're not really interested in trying something that you like. You're interested in using it. But the trial is to find out if it just doesn't work for you, and that's fine. It costs you a dollar. You cancel your subscription and never charge you another penny and you move on. But if you like it, you don't have to do anything else. Your 14-day trial will convert to a monthly rate of $25 a month, which is pretty darn cheap. But if you're too much of a tightwad to pay $25 a month, you can buy in bulk. You buy a year up front, it'll be $19 a month. And you're just not going to find that multi-pronged, um, in-print, in-a-video, uh, and hands-on training for $19 a month anywhere else. I just, I've never seen anything like it. If, if you know where it is, let me know. But I just don't think it exists anywhere except at the linuxacademy.com. When you go, use the referral code Everyday Linux in the box and let them know that we sent you. Yeah, Mark, I would just like, if, if you've never been to the Linux Academy and you're thinking about going today, I would suggest do the 14-day trial, see if you like it, you probably will if you're looking to learn to get a job, um, you know, because you, you're tired of being an accountant or you're tired of digging ditches because it's hot in Texas, you know, 10 months out of the year. And you're like, I want to work in the air conditioning somewhere. So spend your dollar, get your 14 day trial. You think, hey, I think I like this. Get one month because then you get the full experience. And then if you like it at the end of the month, then go for, you know, six months or the year and really invest because the Linux Academy, if you put in the time, it will, you will learn, you know, if you just kind of, if you just kind of turn the videos on while you've got this other screen open to Facebook and you're watching TV and you're texting with five different people on your phone, don't waste your time. You're not really going to get anything that just some YouTube channel is going to give you. But if you want to go to school in the comfort of your own home, this gets you a classroom setting. You've got the community you can go with. There's videos. They're short. They're broken down. You can watch a lesson. You can apply it right there, doing the exact same things that you would in a system administrator job. You know, it's not just some pencil and paper theoretical exercise that impresses a hiring manager. This is like you're doing the exact same thing you would do. You go to work and they say, Hey, I need you to build this server. Boom, 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 boom. Okay. Hey, I need you to configure, you know, um, this firewall. Boom, boom. You've done it. You know how to do it. You've done it. You've taken the time and invested and it is really, you're going to get out 
so much more than you put in. But like I say, do the 14 day trial, then do one month to make sure and then do either the, the six months or the, if you can afford it, do the year. Um, and then you will be well on your way to landing a job. And if you're applying and you know Linux and, you know, not just because you watched a screenshot of Ubuntu, but you know how to do Linux, you know, the dark, dirty magic of the <laughs> command line, um, and then do the GUI overlay because it looks even cooler, then you're good to go. Yeah, I was just going to say that, you know, at least when you're learning stuff from the, the Linux Academy, you're learning the actual way of doing things, not some other guy's, oh, hodgepodge, you know, GUI this, then terminal that, copy-pasting thing. You're actually learning the correct way of doing things. So I like them. I, am, I really love a lot of the stuff that they've gone through. Um, just do it. What, what do you have? You have a dollar to lose. And you, I bet you anything, you don't lose it. All right. So yep. there's their 17-minute ad read. Uh, Seth, we, <laughs> we panicked when you looked like you were going to be gone. And uh, I don't want to give short shrift to all the news you've got here. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to leave this in your court. We're at, we're at over an hour now already. Uh, do you want to pick some that you, that you want to do? Do we want to discuss literature a little more and come back and do this next week? I'm going to let you make that call since you put all the work into this. Uh, let's see. Uh, I want to talk about that one. Let's see. We can, y'all, did y'all probably talked about the humble bundle already? Yes. That we seemed did. like an interest. Okay. Yep. Uh, we can not talk about that one. Uh, I really want to talk about. So Seth put together 32 news stories in case you're wondering. <laughs> uh, so that's why this was going to be an all news show because every one of them is interesting at the same time. And like I was telling you, there were just so many stories. I would just be cruising. I was like, Oh, this would be great for the show. Oh, this would be great for the show. And then when I went looking, I was like, Holy. And then I didn't even put everything I found. Um, because it was just, it was awesome. So, uh, we'll get rid of those two and, um, we have to talk about that one just because it's stupidity. You're, you're building suspense as you do this. This is great. It's, it's <laughs> as a listener, what, what is he deleting? The, 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 not, the things we'll never know. It's, it's almost painful to, to, to experience that. Uh, okay. Um, and then we'll <laughs> cut rid of those first two and see, they need to be a Patreon subscriber and then, uh, you know, we could do more. Okay. You know what? Actually, we can kind of- I, here's what I'm going to do, Seth. I'm going to, uh, uh, use the revision history in Google Docs because you can do that. And all the ones you right. just deleted, I'm going to paste as, uh, as a paid subscription. Not that you have to pay to get it, but you have to be a subscriber on Patreon. And, uh, and maybe you, we can do a little uh, thing after the show. Talk about each one of them for a few minutes, a few minutes and see how that goes. So if you're a Patreon subscriber at, uh, slash Patreon, uh, you can go there. That'll link you to the Patreon site and you'll get some extra content this week. How about that? Okay. Um, I mean, what do you think? Is that still too much? Well, we'll, we'll see as we go, but this first one is good. Okay. I want to talk about it. Google killed my business. Yes, um, this is a restaurant owner is suing Google for sabotaging their weekend sales. Um, if you know anything about restaurants, they do lots of business over the weekend um, because that's when people are off and they want to go out and they want to just do some fun. And so 
there's the Serbian Crown restaurant is taking Google to court because they suffered a 75% drop in customers over weekends early in 2012. The owner couldn't figure it out. Then one of his regulars mentioned that Google Places had them listed as closed on weekends and Mondays. And so he his claim is because of this incorrect listening, his business suffered so much that he had to lay off staff and eventually close shop completely by April 2013. Um, and his take is you have to be like a Google Plus person to edit, but you don't, there's no quality control, uh, put in place by Google, like, um, to say that. So like, for example, if I were the owner of Ses Bistro, in, you know, fictitiousville, Texas, I could then edit Bob's Diner and say that Bob's Diner is the worst place to eat and they're only opened on Tuesdays and Thursdays from midnight to 3 a.m. And anybody who looks at Google, which, you know, lots of people, I mean, it's a freaking verb in the English language for crying out loud. They're going to see that Bob's is a terrible place to eat and that it's only open a couple of days a week in the early morning hours. So, and there's no way to prove that I am in any way related to Bob for that information to stick. So that's his contention is that, you know, Google, if you're going to set yourself up as that, then you need to have some type of quality in place. Um, and of course, Google says, uh, whatever, it's not our problem, go away. But, um, there's a, uh, I don't really see, you know, it's Google's paying their lawyers anyway. They might as well litigate this case. But uh, early attempts to dismiss the lawsuit um, hasn't happened yet. Here's why I think this is utterly bogus. It says here in the article that we're quoting from The Wire. There were a couple of articles about it, but this is the one uh, that we're writing here. It says that the restaurant had been successful for 40 years. Okay. If you were doing the same thing for 40 years and you had uh, loyal clientele for 40 years and people were hearing about you for 40 years, that's before Google Plus, people. That's before Google Places. That's 27 years, 37 years before Google Places. Uh, That's a long time that Google had no bearing on your business. Now, suddenly, Google has the power to shut you down. I don't think so. I think that you're, you were doing things the same way you were for 40 years and the modern audience didn't like that anymore. I think this is bad business management and has nothing to do with Google. Yes, Google made an error. Google listed that they weren't open on the weekends, but all you have to do is make a phone call or, you know, if I were, uh, looking for a place that, you know, on the weekend and it wasn't open on the weekend, um, I might call and ask on a weekday and say, Hey, how come you're not open on weekends? Can I, can I book a special party or something like that? I understand that not everybody's going to do that, but certainly a change, an incorrect change in your Google listing is not going to drive away 40 years worth of customers. At least it well, shouldn't. But the changing demographics of a neighborhood could keep new customers replacing those that have left. So, right, which means your quality wasn't good enough for word of mouth to do any good. Or somebody goes there and says, oh, I would love to go to that place. And then they pull them up. Oh, but they're not open today. You know, because most people don't plan ahead. Yes, but a small percentage of people are going to do that. Not 100% of your clients. And their their, their contestation here is that 100% of their clients, or at least 75% is what the it says the things drop. 75% of their clients suddenly believed Google over, you know, their own experiences. 
I it just it, I don't think it will stand even a moment of court scrutiny. Yeah, I don't think well, so either. I don't, you know, granted it is a hard case to prove, but I think it, you know, it would be it would be interesting to see the correlation of when the incorrect information happened and then what were the numbers before then and afterwards? Did it start a general downward trend at the same time? You know, then you could make a case that correlation equals causation. Yeah. And again, I'm not saying it's, I'm not saying it's, um, happened. I'm merely saying it is plausible. And, you know, like Mythbusters would have to give this one plausible. Not that it's true, but it's plausible. I, I just, I don't buy it. Um, and it'll be, I, I hope we'll follow this case. I, uh, I suspect that it will be one of those things that this is all we'll ever hear about it. Couple of articles this week. And then as it's adjudicated, it's going to be either won or lost and we're never going to hear about it again. But I would like to find out how, an educated and intelligent door person uh, is sitting on the bench or, or uh, I doubt this will go to a jury uh, would w- their chances are probably better if they get it to a jury. Cause then they stack the jury with troglodytes who hate what technology. he needs to do is he needs to file suit in East Texas. Yeah. <laughs> That's what he needs to do. Then yeah, he would no be, kidding. then Google would settle. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see uh, what happens. But speaking of lawsuits, Apple lost a big one that Siri no longer is allowed to recognize Chinese speech. Really? Um, Apple, um, they lost their speech recognition patent in China. Um, there's another company there that has a similar patent and the Chinese court says, um, actually, no, Apple, you don't. Ha-. And of course, you know, Apple, of course, did not invent Siri. They bought the startup. So in a sense, they purchased Siri. So it is Apple's and anything that the, the company did beforehand is grandfathered into Apple stuff. Just again, I want to point out. Apple didn't invent something. <laughs> they merely took something else and marketed it very well. Um, but yes, so, and of course, Apple is going to appeal, appeal the decision, but, uh, Zizern Hern Asia River patent. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't even want to try the foreign names. I'm, I'm sorry. I apologize to all the Chinese people everywhere. Xi'an Network Technology Co- Company Limited. Is that what you're referring to? Yes, it's just it. I just can't. I can't even speak English well, much less you know uh, anything else. But yeah, so the Chinese State Intellectual Property Office, um, they filed. Uh, um, that company filed in two thousand four, and then uh, in two thousand six it was published. And so there you go. It, their patent was a vig uh, originally a chat bot for like MSN messenger, Yahoo messenger and other services. It has since expanded to like iOS and Android devices. But so here you go. If, um, if the patent lost, then, you know, I don't know. Huh? I well, think it'll I just, it's just going to go to appeal. So uh, this, yeah. this is just one more step of the process. I, I was uh, being, uh, appropriately, uh, overly dramatic when I said they've lost the ability to recognize Chinese speech. That just means they lost a court case and it'll be another. Um, yeah. Well, and you know, I, I don't think they'll win. I think, you know, chi- I think this is a chance for China 
to kind of get back at the NSA publicly. And so Apple's going to be their whipping boy in this sense. I really, I don't see that, um, Apple stands a chance in this lawsuit. Uh, again, I don't necessarily know that they copied the patent, but I just think, you know, that, you know, smart people working on things are going to come up with similar ways to doing it. And that could very easily have been what happened here. Yeah. But, um, so yeah, it will not be, it will not be, uh, I don't know how that would work outside of China. If, if, if there was a patent in China for something, then is Apple's patents elsewhere valid? Well, that, generally, yeah, once you lose a case in one country, you, you cite that as precedent in another country. So it would be the first domino that fell. Yeah. I, I've, I've reached out to patent lawyers. I just haven't found any who, uh, have the time to come on the show. But I would love to talk to him about stuff like this. So while we're in the topic of patents and China, uh, China, the Chinese government, quote unquote, accidentally released a bunch of Microsoft patents. And now that people have had a chance to look at them, um, they're starting to say, uh, this one's bogus. And so here's the first such case. Yes. MCOM, they kind of went through and, you know, looked at these patents and there's this, um, this is from a ZDNet article. Again, the, the same story, this, uh, you know, they're all pulling from the same place here. It's a global financial institution that advises corporations and investors on corporate finance and asset allocation, blah, blah, blah. But apparently in Android, there are tons of patents over 14,000 that, um, have been abandoned because the thing that was patented has since been dropped or folded into something else. And then there's another 11,000 patents in the Android innovation space that have simply expired. Now, um, to put that in perspective, there's over 135 patents kind of in play in Android now. And Microsoft has a total of 127 and it looks like, um, only 21% of those are actual commercial patents. And then it t- come to find out there's this thing where it kind of goes through and shows that more than 40 of Microsoft patents have been preceded by other companies' patents. And there you get into some names, you know, like, um, Altel Lucent, IBM, Sony, Intel, Oracle, um, even Dell and Apple. So, and Microsoft, you know, they lump all of their mobile together. So, like their Xbox, their mobile phones, um, you know, Windows Mobile, whatever, all of that kind of goes in. And so they don't break it out. But the probably the single biggest line item for Microsoft in that some people estimate three and a half billion dollars is from Android sales. They could be making as much as eight dollars for every Android device sold. Um, and you know, a losing 3.4 billion granted that doesn't wipe out their profit, but you know, that, um, you know, no more monogram towels in the, in the uh, <laughs> janitor's restrooms. Hmm. Um, this, this next one, uh, I, I need to do a little intro first, uh, a little intro story. I, as, as you may or may not know. Uh, though I do this, the technology thing, my actual college degree, I went to college, I got a degree and it's in counseling with a minor in psychology. So the, 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 one of the things that we talked often about was, you know, obviously the way, the way the mind works, not the, not the chemistry and the, and the, the physics of the mind. Those, that's the biology people. They do that. But the, uh, you know, what the difference between the brain and the mind, 
Um, and one of the things that I always struggled with and, and modern psychological science has struggled with is the definition of intelligence. And, you know, we, we have these intelligence tests, right? But how do you define intelligence? And I'm pretty sure I've talked about it on this show before. Um, you drop me somebody who is considered to be a fairly intelligent person in 2014 America, you drop me in 14th century France, and I'm an idiot. I can't build a fire. I can't shoe a horse. I don't know how to hunt for my dinner. Uh, I, I'm, I'm a blooming idiot. They, I would have to be taken in by the dumbest person in the village to show me how to wipe my own butt with the right leaves so I don't get a rash. I mean, I would just be an idiot. So, you know, what is intelligence? Intelligence is what the ability to amass new information, the ability to synthesize data. The, what me, what most people don't know is the intelligence, the IQ test that, that we use today was, was began in France and it was designed as a way for the French government to figure out which students they should send to school. Because not everybody in that country had the right to go to school as they do in America. In America, it's not only a right, it's a requirement. Um, but uh, they were going to send some people to school and others. And so they asked this fellow named Benet to to come up with some way of measuring the smarter kids, sorting the smart kids from the dumb kids. And he created this test that has been modified a couple of t- uh, times. The biggest one was by the Stanford University, hence it's most commonly referred to as the Stanford Binet Intelligence Test. But in the discussions that I had in school, the best thing, the best definition we ever came up with intelligence, the definition of in- intelligence is it's intelligence is what IQ tests measure. Uh, because that's the only, the, the only thing that actually makes any sense. So, mm-hmm. You know, when you talk about artificial intelligence, how come we can't build artificial intelligence? We freaking don't know what intelligence is. So how can we build artificial intelligence? Now, Seth, take it away with your story. I mean, you just basically said the whole story, Mark. So, uh, (laughs) no, there was a column in the New York Times, and in it, they were interviewing, kind of talking with uh, Jaron Lanier. He's kind of an author, tinker, cyber sociologist type person and he makes this sentence um we're still pretending that we're inventing a brain when all we've come up with is a giant mashup of real brains we don't yet understand how brains work so we can't build one um and that's why we don't have artificial intelligence because we don't know what intelligence is so um you know we can build artificial stupidity i think everybody who's ever dealt with a computer would say we've got the artificial stupidity down pat maybe we need to figure out what this thing up in our noggin is so that we can you know begin the process of developing artificial intelligence yeah, so you know and, Go ahead. One of the common uh, things that's held up right now is Watson, IBM's Jeopardy winning computer system that um, it's not intelligent. It is advanced semantic search. It's scanning text and looking at text next to it and trying to find correlations between two sets of text. That's not intelligence. It doesn't understand any of the text. It doesn't know what any of the things it's reading is. There's no comprehension, uh, as it's, as goes on to say in this article. It's simply matching it up data. The same way Google's database does. When you, when you misspell, um, Nancy Pelosi, 
Google says, did you mean, and then gives you things for Nancy Pelosi, and it's just it's just doing a text search. He typed this. This is close to this. Maybe this is what they mean. That seems intelligent, but it's not. It's simply advanced semantics. Um, so we, we use the phrase artificial intelligence, particularly in video games. You know, yep. the AI of this game is so good. It just means the rule structure, the rule hierarchy is well written. Um, yeah. We're a long way from having intelligent machines because, frankly, we're a long way from having intelligent people. <laughs> you know, the sad thing is, is that you're a hundred percent true on that statement. Yeah, so, unfortunately, <laughs> I mean, yeah. It was just they keep building a better class of idiot, and we just yes. can't keep up. Yeah, you. you <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm reminded of a an often attributed quote to Alfred Einstein. It may or may, uh, may or may not be Alfred Albert Einstein. It may or may not be true. Uh, he says, two things are infinite, the universe and human stupidity. I'm not entirely sure about the universe. Um, great quote. I have it written on my whiteboard at work. Who knows if it's real? Yeah. Um, but you know what is getting smarter? Malware is getting smarter every day, oh, meaning the people who write it are getting better at it. Well, and there's just so much more of it out there, apparently, that, um, you know, you can have a bunch of dumb people doing the same thing. And because there's so many of them, it seems intelligent because you can't keep up with it all. But the anti-phishing working group um, has released their report, and they say that nearly one third of the world's computers could be affected with malware. Malicious apps invade 32.77% of the world's computers, a more than 4% jump from the previous quarters 28.39 uh, percent now again these are estimates um but i you know it just seems like it is getting worse and of course we could go in to just numbers galore and bore you but you know why bore you with facts when we can vamp about stuff uh, <laughs> well the thing is the viruses right now we say there's lots of viruses it's really the same code using different random numbers right you know and so that makes it makes the signature different it makes it uh, behave slightly differently. So, you know, they, it's not that there are tens of thousands of viruses now. It's that there are uh, five, six, seven thousand variations of two or three thousand uh, uh, viruses. Yeah. And yeah. because, because the standard go to um, detection among the overwhelming majority of the antivirus and anti malware these days things is rule based, if I change. If I add five or six integers in a remark line of the code of the virus that doesn't do anything to it, all of a sudden I have changed the checksum of that file, and now that particular change has to be caught, and that has to be added to the uh, rule to the uh, detection base. So you know the. And this is one thing, the user access control that Microsoft introduced is a step in the right direction, but we you almost have to get to where, by default, everything is blocked, and then you allow specific programs to do specific things. Um, you know, you, we have to change the way we do security, but we can't change the way we do security until the way we do, com until we change the way we do computers. And, you know, it's one of those things, do you want to be secure? Or do you want to have easy access to cat videos? Yeah. Those, those are your choices. If you want easy access to cat videos, we can do that, but we can't, 
you, we can't guarantee your security. And unfortunately, the overwhelming majority of people would rather have easy access to cat videos than security. And, and, uh, and that's, that's why almost all good antiviruses today have to update themselves constantly because you're, you're updating those fingerprints. Um, and yep. every company that I know of has experimented with what's called heuristic analysis. And any chance I get, I turn that off. Because it's, it it's, it's harmful, but more than beneficial. So heuristic, um, is a, is a term often misused. It means, uh, it means learning from experience, experience based logic, heuristic, uh, analysis. So the idea is that a software can see enough viruses that it can recognize virus like behavior. Um, using a heuristic analysis algorithm. Um, that's, we, we pretty much have solved the spam, email spam problem in this world using heuristic analysis, primarily the Bayesian algorithm. Um, where if you see enough of one thing, you can recognize other things that are that one thing. Uh, and it, you know, you can break that down to math and it's really good. But the, the trouble with heuristic viruses is that they do the same things, or excuse me, the trouble with heuristic virus analysis is that viruses do the same things people do. And so, yeah. you know, you wanted to open this file. We think you're a virus. Uh, now, okay. Mark, I do need to jump in for a second and just so I can stop everyone before they flood, because they love to pick on you when you say something wrong. We are using virus in the generic malware, malware yes. sense in much the same way we talk about Xerox copies and Kleenex tissues. And Joe, when I say, yeah. yeah, when I say hand me that Kleenex, I'm not saying that I don't want the puffs. I'm just saying I want something to stop this snot coming out of my nose. <laughs> so. In, yeah, in you're right. You're way. right. Because the pedants out there, the literal net was they were in the process of writing emails. In fact, they didn't hear this. They've already paused it and are writing an email telling me that there's a difference between a worm and a virus and yada, yada. Right. Okay. Malware. Uh, malware wants to do what people want to do because, and the best malware, um, emulates human behavior so well that humans don't recognize it. But you know what? So do computers. That's why Google is such a good search engine because it can say, "Oh, did you mean this?" I think you. I'm recognizing your behavior. I'm be behaving like a person. So, and we like that, and that's why Windows Seven is so much better than Windows Three Point One because it assumes it knows what you want to do. That's also what makes it dangerous. And the more power we give the computer to do things that humans would do, the easier it is to subvert that. But when you try to have this this experience based analysis, this heuristic analysis. In my personal experience, it fails a hundred percent of the time. It's overly aggressive. Well, you, you guys have the same experience. Well, they're erring on safety versus erring on correctness. Because right. it's better to be protecting, and you know that's that seems to be the the usual way that these antivirus programs work is they err to let's kill it and not let it spread. Then is this true or not? But Chris, it's for the children. <laughs> Are you so un-American that you hate children? We must protect people from themselves. And yeah, unfortunately, the problem with the heuristic stuff 
is you are too busy infecting your machine because you want to see naked pictures of Anna Kornikova or right. whatever the this the hot chick of the month is, you know, or, or you want to see this recently released sex tape from I don't know Amy Adams, who I don't believe has a sex tape, but I'm sure if it, there's if a there's virus there, out yeah. there that says there is. So, um, you know, and you want to click on that. Hey, how would you like to get an iPad for five cents? Just click on this. <laughs> site bam and ha ha you know so that kind of stuff we don't take the time you know it's we talked about this whenever we did our hoax show you know forward then investigate hey mm-hmm, hey yeah. guys i found this great food sitting out in the open y'all have some oh wait this food expired two months ago <laughs> sorry um yeah we need to verify first yeah, but like you said, Seth, that's that's not an American thing. You know what else is un-American? Open source is un-American, according to our own government. It really uh, seems to be. Uh, the IRS, and this is this story is from Ars Technica, um, you know, and the IRS is another favorite whipping boy from uh, right-wing pundits across the country. But, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire, at least some of the times, I would say, Um they're in the news for the they're um they're picking on uh denying the tax exempt status of the right wing tea party groups um but now it appears that they're also doing the same thing to nonprofit software groups yorba which is a nonprofit organization that develops open source software for the linux desktop the irs took 4 years but finally denied their classification on th- this is the grounds even though you're not making money off of this, someone could take your code and turn around and make money off of it. Therefore, you are denied your nonprofit status. So this means that, you know, any money they get, they're required to pay taxes on and all that kind of stuff. And it just is a whole bunch more oversight. Um, and it just seems like it, you know, again, these are, you know, we talk about intelligence and education and how you can be very intelligent in one thing and be just a complete idiot in something else. This just seems to me like people who don't know what a computer is, that the only purpose of a computer is to find people cheating on their taxes. Um, you know, so it just, again, uncommon sense is absent from the IRS, which it fits the name uncommon sense. Yeah, so let me read some. Uh, this is a, a software called Yorba, or a project called Yorba. And the IRS rejected their 501c3 status, which is nonprofit status. Here's here's the amazing thing here. The reason they rejected it is that somebody could use their software to make money. Therefore, the project is not nonprofit. Quote, you have a substantial non-exempt purpose because you develop software published under open source compatible licenses that authorize use by any person for any purpose, including non-exempt purposes, such as commercial, recreational, or personal purposes, the letter says. So because your license allows people to make money, clearly you're not nonprofit. What? That doesn't even make sense. No kidding. I'm still kind of stuttered on that one. So, you know, welcome to the government, uh, where things don't have to make sense. Um, and I'm going to say that's true of all governments all over the world. Uh, so what do we do? How do we fix this? Uh, you know, I, I think the, the Aereo case for the Supreme Court and this thing right here are both examples of uneducated people making decisions. 
we need to educate these people on what an open source license actually means, just like we need to educate people on what uh, Aereo is actually doing, because they're making decisions out of ignorance or stupidity. There's only two possibilities here. This 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 uh, this uh, statement is either just plain stupid or ignorant, and I'm choosing to believe the latter because of my faith in humanity. But uh, this is you know what what we need to do as open source advocates is educate people on what that actually means. So if I put plans on the internet for making a canoe and a paddle and somebody takes those plans and uses them to build a canoe and then opens a canoe business touring the Colorado River, I have to pay taxes on that? Well, that's dumb, but that's exactly what this IRS uh, uh, communication to the Yorba Project says. Yeah, it's just nuts. It's hard to believe that we're the country that invented the internet. I mean... (laughs) It it's a very you can't believe it how you're like this government invented this stuff and they don't know what they're doing, um. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, Seth, where are we going next? One one last topic. Um. Okay. Let's talk about uh since we, we got to talk about Tor being sued. Okay. I got one we gotta talk about too. Because it's Texas. Yes. Um there there is something called revenge porn. Um and what that is in a nutshell is some person gives their current flame an inappropriate picture of themselves and then they break up and the person who got broke up with turns around and puts the other person's unmentionables on the internet for all to right. see or they, um, they film themselves having sex when they're together and then when right. they break up that suddenly ends up on porntube.us I, I i bet that's a real thing i guess that out of random but i bet it's probably a real thing yeah if not somebody <laughs> just bought it uh, <laughs> so, uh but yes yeah, so and you know we've talked we've talked about tour on this site uh encrypted internet communications um buried through many layers um and you know, it's very hard to find stuff. And I, I apologize on behalf of Texas to the internet, uh, for this because this person who advertises himself has the most right wing, stupid lawyer. I don't, well, I'm sorry. I don't think you said stupid, but the most right, right wing lawyer around is suing, um, the ISP, but they can't get to the ISP because they're inside Tor, uh, or they, they can't get the site to take it down. Um, so they're suing Tor kind of has aiding and abetting is basically what they're doing. And I just think it is so stupid. I mean, if you're going to sue Tor, you also need to sue the electric company that provides electricity to his house for giving him the capacity to have the computer on that uploaded it. If you were going to sue the electric company and you were going to sue the computer manufacturer whose equipment he's using, then fine, sue Tor as well. But you can't signal out Tor because of the service they provide. It's a neutral service. Can it be misused and used for things that are not legal? Yes, it can. But just because you are hiding something doesn't mean the thing you are hiding is wrong. You know, I'm, you know, this is a thing. It's not wrong to say, get off my lawn. Um, and anyway, 
Van Dyke. Uh, he's from Texas. And again, I apologize on behalf of, uh, the state of, for the state of Texas on this. It's just, you know, go through and read the article and just see. It's just, it's just dumb. It's just dumb. I mean, unfortunately, there's so little uncommon sense left that he could win. And, yeah, so the lawyer in in this case calls himself, quote, possibly the meanest and most right-wing lawyer in Texas. Um and he uh somebody else referred uh, to him said uh, this was apparently all went on down on tw- Twitter. Uh the a tweet said that suing an auto uh, this is like suing an automaker because their car was used in a bank robbery. And the the judge's response was I can always dismiss them later, meaning I can dismiss the suit later. So yeah, let's go ahead and bring him to court for something stupid. And if it turns out to be stupid, uh, I am a judge. This is a judge with who's in love with his own power. This is a problem. Yeah. yeah. And just because I'm right wing and he's right wing doesn't mean I agree with his abuse of power here. Right. Um, this is an activist judge, and I have often spoken against activist judges. Um, and I'm, it's it needs needs to stop. And I think the only. Will education fix this? I don't know. I don't think education can fix this kind of stupid because this is this is stupidity in the face of knowing the facts already. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a tough one. I have a feeling that it's it's going to probably be a bad thing. Is what I I, I have a feeling it's going to uncommon sense is going to kill this one and Tor is going <laughs> to get shot in the foot. Yeah, and uh, it's getting it's getting to be. The the laws have have tightened down to the point where it's hard to sue the people who actually do something. So you sue the conduits, um, and that's what this is. Tour is the conduit by which this happens. So let's sue Tour. Yeah, but but it it doesn't make any sense. It's like the Aereo thing, right? The whole air. I keep going back to that Aereo. The judges said what the individual users are doing is wrong. So let's sue the company that they use as a conduit for doing it, or let's put them out of business. And and that's that's just wrong. It's easier, right? It's easier to shut down Napster than to go after all the, go after all the pirates. But right. the the right thing to do is go after the pirates, not shut down Napster. Yeah. Uh, and that's it. I what a depressing oh, one more. Oh, okay, one more. So, this this won't be so depressing. Homestar wanna <laughs> returns. <laughs> you almost even said that like a Homestar Runner person. Right. That was awesome. Homestar wanna. Yes, I thought that was a pretty interesting thing that the 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 artist who was originally doing Homestar Runner with Strong Bad is is saying he's likely to bring it back. Um, it, it's actually one of the things that I remember wasting tons and tons of my time listening to Strong Bad read his emails. Um. This is one of those moments where I'm hoping that I remember it really, really well, and it and it ends up uh, coming back and, and lighting that love again, and not going. Oh, I really listened to all this crap. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, the the article says it went viral long before anybody used the word viral. I, yeah, I mean, Homestar Runner T-shirts were a big thing. It oh was, yeah. Uh, it was a big it was a big thing. I never it doesn't suit my sense of humor, but I knew people who were into it, which is how I knew to say it like a six year old. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But I really love 
Homestar Runner. I'm, I'm hoping that my, my, my little man crush is going to be, uh, <laughs> a wonderful thing. Uh, I always thought his, uh, his humor was great and I was right there with him. I even had a strong bad shirt for a while. Hmm. All right. Uh, and strong bad was like a lucha libre, right? He was a, he was yep. one of those, wore the mask. Yep. Yeah, I remember that. Um, I I don't know how to segue out of this. I don't. Uh, so, Seth, what happened this week in history? Well, this week in 2003, uh, July 15th, 2003, AOL Time Warner disbanded Netscape. Uh, the Mozilla Foundation was established on the same day. So it's kind of bad news, good news type thing. That yeah, happened- it, was a, it was a really good thing. It ended up yeah. being a really good thing. Right. Yeah, they put Netscape out of their biz, out of their misery. And for the younger people out there, um, there was a time when, well, I was going to say there was a time when Internet Explorer sucked, but you know, let's face it, it always sucked. But there was a time when getting on the internet meant you use Netscape. That's just how you got on there. And then Microsoft realized, Hey, there's this thing called the internet people are getting on. We should develop a browser, but why develop a browser? We'll license one. And then they did it. It was crap. Nobody, people used to pay money for browsers and not just a lot of money. And then nobody was buying Internet Explorer. So Microsoft said, um, we can't compete with their product. So let's give ours away for free. And then once they started giving away this cheap, crappy browser, um, all of a sudden, why pay for Netscape when you have this other thing that gets you sort of the same experience, only with more heartache? And they didn't so- just give it away. They bundled it. And that was the the downfall of Microsoft in the 90s. That's what the whole antitrust thing was about, was they didn't just give away IE. They bundled it. It well, came with before Windows. Before they bundled it, though, they, yeah. they did give it away. And then they and- bundled it with Windows 98. Um, yeah. But they started giving it away with 95. So that's the amazing thing, right? People... Um, younger than 35 don't, don't remember a time when you paid for a browser. Uh, right. You know, it, it didn't just come with your computer and you couldn't just go download whatever you wanted. Yeah. Uh, it was, it was 50 bucks for Netscape. Uh, or there was another one, uh, that I forget that was really good. Uh, but they were, they were the two. Uh, and then Internet Explorer came along and wasn't so great. Uh, but, you know, and Microsoft, basically, they said, we can't compete with this business, so we'll just destroy the business. And it worked. The, yep. the business of selling browsers no longer exists. Microsoft destroyed it. Um, I don't fully understand what their reason for it was. I don't know what the long-term plan for Microsoft was, but the world benefited at large. So now we have WebKit and and. Um, the Mozilla code, and we have really strong, really high-quality, free open-source browsers. That would never have happened if Microsoft hadn't set out to torpedo Mark Andreessen and the Netscape company. Wow, something to actually be thankful for Microsoft for. Yeah, huh. I mean they they did a thought? dirty deed, and and we turned it into good. You know, often often good comes from bad, uh, and that that was a situation where the internet turned Microsoft's bad into good. I think it would have happened anyway um, as people began to realize the importance of the web. But then again, maybe the web became important because people had easy access to it. I, I don't know. Chicken um, egg. Yeah. I mean, one of the reasons people used to, to to pay for AOL service was to get the browser because the AOL browser, the Netscape browser, 
came with AOL service. Whereas if yep. you went with CompuServe or one of the other local providers, you had to get your own browser. So AOL bundled it. Um, and that was, it was a big thing. Uh, and then Time Warner bought AOL and, uh, and then mismanaged it. Began swirling down the toilet uh, from then on. But yeah, that's, uh, 2003 was when they folded up and went home, but it was, it was over them for them before that. It was over for them before the, the end of the, the century. But, um, Let's also not forget that the Mozilla browser initially sucked. They didn't. They chose not to use any of Netscape's code. They built, rebuilt it from the ground up, and so they made all the same mistakes that Netscape had already solved. Uh, and the initial Mozilla browser wasn't great. And the initial Firefox. I remember using uh, Phoenix. I think it was called at the time, or maybe Firebird or something yep, like that. Firebird. Uh, and yep. it was. It was terrible, but it was so fast, mm-hmm. and and I used it because it was fast. It was unreliable, and it would crash. I didn't use it for anything important, but at that time, it was just you download a zip, and you copied it over and ran it. There was no installer. There were no DLLs. There were no registries, nothing, um, but you know we've come a long way now where Mozilla is updating itself every 15 minutes. Uh, and Google every 37 seconds. Yeah. Um, you know, but the web is now central to our lives. What part did Microsoft play in that? I don't know. Maybe bigger than we want to give them credit for. Possibly. What do you think, listener? What do you think is the answer to that? Here's how you tell us. You go to elementop.com, you click on the Contact Us button, and you let us know what you think. Uh, Tell us, you know... uh, uh, what you think about anything about the show, about the fact that, uh, that we should wasted too much time talking about sci-fi. What, what do you want to, uh, what do you want to tell us? Let us know at elementop.com. Uh, use the contact us button or you can email us directly edl at elementop.com or you can dial, um, anywhere in, uh, the North American, uh, continent. You can dial 559 am and you can uh, leave a voicemail message there on Google Voice, and we'll play it on the air. Having said all that, now, guys, what is our dev slash random links of the week? Chris, you go first. Sure, I'll go first. I have a couple this week, actually. Um, one's more of a, a returning one to a program. Remember a couple weeks ago I was talking about making my phone do things all by itself? Yes. I found one that does NFC task launching so you can have little buttons everywhere and it will automatically launch the task that's assigned to the button and these would be physical like you know bottle cap button type things with the special chips in them um it's called trigger they sell the the nfc tags for a, a pretty small price i think uh, a pack of 10 is only 10 bucks so a dollar a tag and if you um, buy them in bulk you can get them a lot less than that yeah but it's got a nice easy button in the Google store to buy them with their little logo attached to it. Um, I ended up picking up, I think by accident, I ended up getting 20. So I'm going to have all sorts of tasks assigned to the little buttons all over my house and things just to play with it. Um, it's, it's a cool idea. I want to see how well it works because if it works as well as I'm hoping it does, uh, my phone will be really smart. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, yeah, if you want to, Play with your phone and make it do things without having to do it. And just tapping the t- the trigger button, the trigger icons. Uh, it's something to play with. And you know, like I said, I think I spent twenty dollars on the tags, and I'll have a handful of them that I'm just gonna 
configure and throw all over my house just to make it do weird things. But the actual, my actual link of the week is, uh, pictures from the past. And I don't remember seeing this ever before that we've put up, but there's 60 photos in this link of different things, uh, about famous people. And some of them are quite entertaining. Um, like the, there's one in here from, uh, Muhammad Ali is talking someone out of jumping off of a root, uh, off of a balcony. Um, but there's a whole bunch of really cool pictures that you just kind of look at and go, Oh my God, I didn't know Robin Williams dressed like a cheerleader in 1980. Good Lord. <laughs> the original Star Wars cast out of their costumes. That's a mm-hmm. great one. These are just really, you know, it's a really bunch of cool pictures and i thought that if i got a big enough chuck out of them that i would you know that i am going to actually send this around and facebook it to everybody i know uh that i'd share it with the fans because there are some things in here that are just really surprising like i didn't realize you know that jobs and bill gates sat around discussing the future of computing in 91 um nor would i have thought that jobs had such you know clean looking feet so you'll have to go and get the link just to see the pictures. Um, but yeah, there, you know, there's pictures of the first computer, the first Walmart, uh, the building of the Golden Gate Bridge. You know, if you're a history buff, this will be right up your alley. Yeah, this is cool stuff. Osama it, bin Laden practicing judo. Yeah. I mean, where <laughs> only the internet could bring you a picture of Osama bin Laden in his judo gi. Um, uh, Muhammad Ali punching the Beatles. Yep. <laughs> you have to check this link out to find that. Uh, Seth, what do you bring to the, the randomness of the internet? What, what have you decided to bring down my productivity this week? Well, you know, there's been a lot of superhero movies from Marvel and they're, they're, they're trying to dominate the cinematic landscape. And you might be wondering, I wonder where that hero came from. And so this week I bring you a map of the origin of uh, Marvel characters, both heroes and villains. Uh, the link will be in the show notes, but you know, if you want to know where, for example, Cyclops comes from, he's from Anchorage, Alaska. Um, the Hulk, he's from Dayton, Ohio, you know, uh, gee, somebody from Dayton, Ohio wanting to smash things. I think that's a bit of a stretch. Um, so, uh, there you go. Um, you can just go through here, look and see, uh, different people. Um, there's a couple of them that I kind of want to say that's not the way I remember it, but you know, that was 30 years ago. So who's just, uh, you know, as much as I would love to think I'm smarter than a bunch of people, I'm probably the one who's in the wrong, but there you go. So you can figure out where different, uh, Marvel, characters are from you know it seems to be for whatever reason just to prove that you know there are far too many weirdos in new york most of them come from like <laughs> new, the york, new york new jersey, new jersey area yeah, yeah. Um, submariners from atlantis though he's not on the map you, well no he is the it just it's in the middle of the atlantic is kind of where it points <laughs> to for him so but yeah, yeah you is. can find him there <laughs> namor mckenzie is his name i didn't know that um that's cool yeah uh that's a word for it. Weird goes goes right there. Yeah, random. That that's random. a good word for it. random. And I could certainly spend a lot of time uh, losing productivity over this. No kidding. Well, tell all your friends. What I'm not <laughs> going to do though is waste any more time on this show. You've had enough. <laughs> 
We've put you through enough, listener, and we thank you for your time with us this week. And uh, we're going to, as always, Seth, thank you for being uh, the host for a good portion of the show. Uh, Chris, thank you for for uh, being with us. And listener, you the listener, the reason we do this show. Thank you so much for being a listener. Uh, thank you for your feedback. Also, don't forget elementopi.com uh, slash Patreon, where there will be extra bonus content to come. Uh, So that's it. I'm calling it for this week. That ends this episode of 